Uh, I want to just continue in this sermon series, and uh, it's only seven verses, so that's good. On a shortened time frame, I only have to get through seven verses. You'd be amazed at how long it can take me to get through seven verses. Maybe you won't be amazed if you've been here long enough. Uh, but it's, it's really kind of two different categories. There are lots of gifts. We talked about this this past fall, I think, uh, in my message series called We Are Disciple Makers, and we talked about the gifts God gives that all of us are part of, being and making disciples. And if you're curious about any of that, you can watch that sermon series and learn about some of those gifts. But this morning, specifically, a lot of times we can categorize these gifts with two categories, equipping gifts and serving gifts. Oftentimes, equipping gifts are, you think, maybe teacher, maybe you think of like one-on-one discipleship or working in a, maybe leading a life group or a connection group of some kind. Uh, Usually, it's kind of helping people understand the Word, applying it to their life, uh, almost like a mentor kind of relationship uh, for the disciples. Part of that is prayer, um, because nothing happens within the church of value without taking it before God in prayer first. And uh, we recognize that here at at this church. And uh, so just so you know, there's a a group of guys that meets in my office on a Wednesday morning. And we've been doing it for a long time now. Every Wednesday, whether I'm there or not, there's somebody there praying. We're praying for you and praying for what God's doing at Grace, praying for things happening in our world. But every single Wednesday, we are doing that because we know nothing happens without that. That's part of that equipping uh, us to do the work of the kingdom in some way. So what I'm going to read for you is that that's kind of the two categories we're going to be looking at. But if you remember, if you were here last week, if you watched the message last week from home or something, we were talking about some exciting things God was doing. It was clear, it was very evident that though Jesus left, the kingdom he inaugurated didn't go with him. It was continuing to go forward on earth even though he was gone. And its power and presence was clearly evident. In fact, I asked you to pray about this in your own life, your family's life, this community, our county. What would it look like for God to demonstrate the power and presence of his kingdom today, right here, right now in your life? And I said, whatever that answer you come up with, because I told you there's a name in my head that to see the power and presence of God's kingdom demonstrated today, that person's going to come to Christ, and that's what I've been praying for. And so that was happening in chapter 5 of the book of Acts. In fact, even people in Peter's shadow were getting healed because the power and the presence was there in a big way. It was clearly evident. So exciting things were happening. The kingdom was advancing. Exactly what Jesus told the disciples to do, it was doing. Now, right now, it was just in Jerusalem, but it was advancing, and we keep on hearing about more and more people came to Jesus, and God added to their number daily those who were being saved. The church is growing and growing in leaps and bounds, and if you remember Acts chapter 2, after that one message that Peter preached, 3,000 were added to their number that day. So it is clear. Exciting things are happening. Everything we've read from Acts chapter 2 until now has been pretty exciting. Yeah, they've had some challenges, but even last week, they're thrown in a jail up. 
An angel of the Lord comes and frees them, and they're back in the temple courts preaching again. Some amazing things are taking place. It's pretty exciting to be a part of this church right now. So then we get to Acts chapter 6. And just like every other church you've ever been a part of, or even here at Grace Church, here comes the complaint department. So the thing I want to point out here is lots of exciting things are happening in Acts 2 through 5 to chapter 6 here. We've only got six verses, actually, of the problem issue, and then exciting things happen again. Now, some of those exciting things happen with Stephen's life and his story, which you're going to hear about next week. But God uses it, even those tragedies God used to advance his kingdom. But we have this little section, Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 6. The church is growing in leaps and bounds. Everything is all exciting, yet here come some complaints. So just in case you thought erroneously that the early church, you know, the church of Acts, if we could just get to be like them, if we could get back to the early church of Acts, we wouldn't have any problems. We're only six chapters in from chapter two, and we've already got some problems. Because just because the power and presence of the kingdom is here doesn't mean we're any different. We're still bringing everything we've got to the church. All of our baggage, all of our history, all of our personalities, all of our little quirks, all of our little pet peeves, all of our problems, the things I think important you think don't matter, the things you think important I don't think matter, the priorities that you have, I don't have those same priorities, the colors that you like with the carpet and the walls and things like that, I think those are ugly. All these things, we, we bring them to the church, and so did they. They brought all of it to the church. And so it is not new to have problems within a church. So just don't ever lose sight of that. When you think, oh boy, here we go, here's problems in the church, okay, we'll join the club. They had problems in the church then too. Because we still bring us. We don't stop being us. God begins transforming and molding and shaping us. Read all of Paul's letters about how we act as followers of Jesus. Now, we talked about that with life with Jesus. This is what people look like, Jesus said, when you're doing life with me. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and remind yourself what that looks like. All of that is still true, but it doesn't mean we stop just because the, the power and the presence of the kingdom is so evident in Acts chapter 5 doesn't mean these people stop being real people. They had the same problems, the same issues, maybe not the same, but we all respond as human beings, as people. So Acts 6, verse 1 through 6, is where we find the first complaint. And it's a legitimate issue. They, they need to figure it out. The gospel is going forward. People are getting saved. It's wonderful. But what about the church? We still got to care for all these people that are becoming believers. Somebody's got to help them understand what it means. Some of them come with all of their own baggage and history and all that kind of stuff. We've got to help them. So verse 1 tells us what the issue is. And, and I don't think this is just like a little aside. It's only six verses, but I do think it's instructive for us as the church who desire, I do, desire to see God grow His church. I want to see more people come to Christ. And I want to see God demonstrate His power and presence in a big way. But that doesn't take away the reality that we're all still people. And we all still bring that to the church. And if new people come to church, 
especially people that never grew up in church starting to get connected to church, you might have some issues. Well, they did in Acts chapter 6 too. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, these are the number of people following Jesus. This is the first time this term is really being applied to them. Disciple simply meant follower of. Name the teacher. This happens to be Jesus. They are followers of the teachings in the person of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And as more people were being added, the Hellenistic Jews, these are people who didn't grow up in Israel, what would be Israel today, in Judea, and Jerusalem, and Samaria. These are Jews that didn't necessarily grow up there. They were actually part of the Greek-speaking world. But they've come back to Israel, and they live there now. And these Hellenistic Jews who had come to Christ, they believed Jesus was the Messiah. They started complaining to the Hebraic Jews. These would have been the Jews that lived there. These Jews spoke Aramaic. The Hellenistic Jews spoke Greek. And the problem was they felt, the Greek Jews felt, that their widows were being overlooked. There was some kind of distribution of food and supplies for people who had need. We read about that in Acts chapter 4. People were just giving stuff to the church and say, hey, help these people out. The problem was they thought, well, you guys are really kind of taking care of your people a little bit better than our people. And so this complaint arose within the church. Now, before I go to verse 2, and we're only on verse 1, but before I go to verse 2, let's just not lose sight of what it feels like when we kind of want to complain about something. When I think this is really important, and these people don't think it's important at all, when I think this is the priority, and these people don't think this is the priority at all, like those feelings and emotions that you have, they had those same things. This may have been a big deal to somebody. Maybe one of their uh, people, part of their church, was really struggling. And, and this was a big deal. Maybe it was a family member of some kind. Like all that emotion comes with it. So I'm, I'm saying that, emphasizing that, because it's not abnormal to feel all that as the church. The point is, how do we solve those things? What, what kind of solution do we come to without losing sight of what God's called us to do and be as His church on earth? And so these Greek-speaking Jews probably worshiped in a different synagogue where they spoke Greek than the Aramaic-speaking Jews were having an issue. There was a problem within the church. They had to figure it out. Now, that shouldn't shock any of you, that there's a problem in the church. It is not new. In fact, it's been with the church since Acts chapter 6. And it's going to just continue to be there. It's not like, uh, that's what I love about the Bible. It doesn't paint some kind of rosy picture. In Acts chapter 15, the church almost splits apart because they can't get their minds around the whole Jewishness of the church and Gentileness of the church. The Bible's not trying to paint you this glorious picture of the glory days back when Acts was around and the church was in the book of Acts. These real people with these real emotions and issues come to the church just like you and I come to the church. And so they decided, here's where the solution comes in in understanding the gifts that God gives His church for His people. It says, so the twelve gathered, these are the apostles, the, the leaders of the church, and they gathered Everybody together, 
And they said it would not be right for us, the 12 apostles, to neglect what Jesus has commissioned us to do. We know that we're in this equipping gift set. God has called us to go out, preach the gospel, do evangelization, do discipleship, teach people how the Old Testament comes into the, into the, the, the reign of the Messiah. Obviously, they didn't have the New Testament at this point, but how the Messiah fits into all the Old Testament scriptures, they know they got to do that. They just use the word wait on tables. They know that somebody else is going to have to take care of these other things. So they gather everybody together, talk about this, and they say, what we want you to do is choose seven men from among you to serve in this capacity, to, be, to give leadership to this ministry. And we're going to turn that responsibility over to them. And so the disciples said, we're not going to neglect what, what Jesus has called us to do, our attention to the work of prayer, because that's where it starts. That takes time and energy. We've got to focus on these kinds of things and to sharing God's word. So that was the solution they came up with. This proposal pleased everyone. And so these are the seven guys they chose. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. You'll read more about him in chapter 6. Things don't go so great for him in chapter 6, but you'll see how God uses that and his courage and bravery. Also Philip, you'll hear more about him. And then Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, who wasn't actually even Jewish. He was a convert to Judaism. And so they choose these seven guys and they say, you're going to give leadership to this ministry, which is much more of a, if we're using our two categories, equipping and serving giftings. And so they do that. They presented these men before everybody. The apostles laid hands on them to kind of symbolize their leadership within the church. They prayed over them, and they began serving in this capacity. And so verse 7 of chapter 6 is simply giving us another summary. So the word of God spread because they didn't neglect what they were called to do. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests came to faith. These are priests that would have been leading synagogues. The power and presence of God was there because even the priests started coming to Jesus. So I just want to end with a couple of points of what I see happening here and how that applies to us as Grace Church and really any church. When the church grows, there's going to be growing pains. We just read about that. Sometimes those growing pains hurt a lot. Don't think that these people didn't have any emotion attached to the fact that they thought their widows were being neglected. If you have a child who's gone through growing pains, maybe you did as a child. I know Leah has them. She's often complaining about her legs hurting. And so we put essential oils on them because we think that does something. Uh, maybe it does. I don't know. And I pray for her, and she prays for it, and the next morning it's like, hey, she's wonderful. But it actually hurts. She's growing, she's, and she wants to grow. She, she needs to do a little bit of growing. Not that it's going to be a lot, but she needs to do some growing. The church experiences those things too. That's what's happening here. The church will experience growing pains. It's a good thing. God uses it to help us grow. Some of these men who were not serving are now serving the church. Their faith in God, their relationship with Jesus is growing as a result of their service. 
The fact that we have a problem, that's not new. We all have them. We'll have problems here. The fact that though we can come together, figure out this problem, and verse 7 says the Word of God is spreading rapidly and people are still coming to Jesus. That's how it's supposed to work. Not that we would be devoid of problems because we all bring all of us my personality, my quirks, my problems, my pet peeves are all a part of this church and so are yours. The question is, are we willing to give them up to God and say, God, what you're doing is more important than mine, than what I'm doing. But as the church grows, there will be growing pains. Now keep that in mind as we go through this. But one of the things that they understood from the get-go is that We're gifted this way. The 12 said we cannot neglect what Jesus has called us to do, being called to serve in this capacity. They knew they had to keep doing that, and they had to figure out how to solve the problem of a legitimate issue. They wanted to make sure that everybody was being treated fairly in the church. That's important to do. And so what they did was they said, we want to find some people who can serve in that capacity. And the people they found were not the professionals. And the thing we got to be careful of in the church, we've done this a little bit in the, in the Western church. We've made the job of the pastor just that. It's his job. I see what I'm doing more as a calling and a gifting. I'm trying to live out this gifting And I believe God's called me to do that for His church. And I'm willing to not hold any other job to do that. If I had to get another job, and if you make me get another job, I'll get another job. Because if you didn't know this, your tithes and offerings contribute to me being paid. That's not true of every pastor. But for me, and what I enjoy is I get to spend all day, all the time, focusing on the ministry of the Word, and making disciples. But sometimes we think that, well, the professionals do the church thing, and we do our thing. And then if we think that, we start to begin believing the work of the ministry of the church should be done by the professionals. The work of the ministry of the church, physically I can't do it by myself. That was very clear to me. And so we brought David on as well. We've brought David on full-time because we believe there's that much work to do. But again, we can't assume that the work of ministry is simply for the professionals. If you grew up in a Lutheran church, Martin Luther made a big deal about this. He called it the priesthood of all believers. We're all called to serve in some way. And what we see in that list of men, this list of seven guys, one of them not even being a Jew but a convert to Judaism, which was a big change. And we can already see how the church is beginning to grow and not look exactly like it looked when it started with Jesus. But what we see with those seven men is their qualifications were actually about their character, that we can see the Spirit is working in their lives. It's clear that they love Jesus and want to grow. And that if I asked this group of people, they would give a good report about him. And then I asked this group of people, kind of like what we do with references. you got to list three references when you're getting their job because they want to know what other people have to say about you. That was the qualification for these guys. It wasn't like they were the professionals. 
that you have to have a Bible degree, that you have to have a seminary degree, that you have to have served in the church X number of years. Like, what, was, what mattered most was the character that they had, that it was clear God was working in their life. And if you've been in the church long enough, you know when that's happening. You know when you can see God is working in people's lives. And it was clear that they love Jesus. And I could go around to any of them and I need three references from you, three references from you, and everybody had the same report. Kind of like what I said about Peg. Peg DeWitt had, it didn't matter who you talked to. Everybody thought of kindness and hospitality with Peg DeWitt. I could go, there was a lot of people here. And they all came, because I tried to encapsulate that in my message about her, and they all came to me and said, you captured Peg, because she was the same with everybody. Apparently, that is the qualification that, that God is looking for. It's not the professionals, because honestly, the disciples knew, and I know physically, I just can't do it all. Sometimes I want to. I, I really do. I want to try and do all of it, but I can't. And sometimes I shouldn't because I'm not gifted in that area. And so I asked a question of you last week, and I'm going to ask a question of you this week again. I'm, I'm glad that I'm kind of going through this series right now because I feel like God's been working in my heart in some ways, and maybe it's just my 10-year itch. I've been here 10 years this July, and I just believe God wants to do something. And I'm saying to you, I am expecting and anticipating Grace Church to grow. And if that is the case, I believe God wants to do it. I want to see it happen. I hope you want to see it happen because what that means is that people who don't know Jesus start coming to Jesus. People who didn't grow up in church start giving their lives to Christ. People who were far from Jesus love Him so much they just want to give all that they can to serve Him in whatever way that they can do it. As Grace Church grows, I believe God wants to do it. How are you going to serve? Because as the church grows, David and I physically cannot do it by ourselves. We're not even gifted to do it by ourselves. I do believe God has gifted me in such a way that He has called me into pastoral ministry, and I am so thankful I get to do what I love to do. I know some of you don't feel that way about work. I'm thankful, not that it's easy, and believe me, it's not. But I love doing it, and I want to make sure I don't neglect what God's called me to do in the next 10 years of my life. And I desperately want to see people come to Jesus. I really do. And I think God wants to grow His church. And that's not some vague statement. I think His church equals Grace Church. We're a part of that. We're a part of what God wants to do. So where's God calling you to serve? Because God's calling you to do something. What does that something look like? Because guess what? You are needed. The work of ministry is not done by the professionals. It's done by people who are willing to be formed and shaped by Him and to serve Him. And that means we might experience some growing pains, and, and that's okay. The important thing is that we don't lose sight of what God's called us to do. And I'm excited 
about the stories that I, I believe we're going to be able to share and talk about, the stories that we're going to see, the people's lives we're going to see that are changed by God. Some of you have been a part of Grace Church. You've already seen them. Some of you are those people I'm talking about, and I can't wait to see some more of those people. But as that happens, as God does it, where is He calling you to serve? Maybe it's not those equipping gifts. Maybe it is. Maybe it's in that serving aspect of the behind-the-scenes kind of thing. If you are being led to serve in some way, please talk to me. Not today because I'm leaving. I'm praying and then I'm going. But talk to me. I will free my schedule up for you. You know that. Uh, people take priority. That's part of my problem is people take priority over all the other stuff I got to do. But if God's calling you to do something, if you want to serve in some way, please come talk to me. We have leaders at this church that want to use you, that are great to be a part of. And as we experience that growth, I believe God wants to help you grow too. Let's pray. God, we are, I am looking forward to what it is that you want to do here at Grace Church. And Lord, I have been praying and encouraged everybody else to pray that you would demonstrate your power and presence. And I've got people in mind, I've got things in mind of what that looks like. I hope other people do too, Lord. But God, I also believe and been praying about that you would continue to grow your church all over the planet earth and I've been blessed to see some of that happening but God I believe you want to do that here in little old Schuylkill Haven as well and so Lord I pray that you would help us as we experience those growing pains as we expect and anticipate you to move God that we would be able to be unified around what you've called us to do And that's to to live out the gospel in our lives and to share it with those who need to hear it through equipping of your people and through serving your church, Lord. And if there is somebody here who's trying to figure that out, Lord God, I just pray that you'd make that clear to them. Help them to understand their giftings. Help them to just reach out to me and have a conversation with me about how they can use their gifts at Grace Church, Lord. And I pray that we, as a body, might be able to experience the growth and celebrate the stories of lives transformed, families transformed, people God sold out to living for Christ. And when that happens, Lord, we will change our community. It will be different. Our county will look different. God, you can change the planet because of people, just 12 guys, sold out loving Jesus. God, I pray that you would do that here in our midst as well. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.